Lesson 2 for July 2 through to 8, Restoring Dominion. Sabbath afternoon, July 2. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to the second of this series of lessons on the role of the Church in the community and what the Bible tells us about it, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that our hearts may be open, that our minds may be clear, and that we may be fulfilled. Through the study of your word this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let's read that again, Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. At the fall, our first parents lost more than just their original image of God. Not only man, but the earth also had by sin come under the control of the wicked one and was to be restored by the plan of redemption, writes Ellen White in The Signs of the Times, November 4, 1908. She continues, At his creation, Adam was placed in dominion over the earth. But by yielding to temptation, he was brought under the power of Satan, and the dominion which he held passed to his conqueror. Thus, Satan became the god of this world. He had usurped that dominion over the earth, which had been originally given to Adam. But Christ, by his sacrifice paying the penalty of sin, would not only redeem man, but recover the dominion which had been forfeited. All that was lost by the first Adam will be restored by the second. End of quote. No question. After the fall... Human beings lost very much, including the dominion that we originally had been given. What was that lost dominion? Though the idea of dominion often has negative connotations today, it certainly didn't back in Eden. What did it mean when humans were first given dominion over the earth? And what can the church do to help people regain some of what was lost after the tragic fall of our first parents in Eden? Sunday, July 3, Created for Dominion Someone recently wrote the following about a friend, an avowed atheist, who said that she sometimes wakes in the middle of the night, stressing over a bunch of deep questions. Is this world truly the result of an accidental cosmic Big Bang? How could there be no design, no grand purpose to our existence and to the universe as a whole? Can it be that every life, including my own, my husband's, my two children's, is totally irrelevant and meaningless? Does my life have no meaning and purpose? After the fall, humanity lost very much. 
As the story of the fall showed, we became alienated not only from God but from each other. Even our relationship toward the earth itself changed. And, as the questions asked by the woman above show, we also struggle with knowing who we are and what the purpose of our life is. Problems that for many are made much worse by the prevailing idea that our existence resulted only from chance, with no foresight or purpose built in by a Creator God. Question. What do the following texts teach about the purposes for humanity's creation? First of all, we'll look at Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And Psalm, verse 3 to 8 of Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honour. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, that pass through the paths of the sea. And Isaiah 43, verses 6 to 7. I will say to the north, Give them up, and to the south, Do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. And the question continues, What does created for my glory in verse 7 mean? How does my God's glory relate to dominion? As we can see in the verses in Genesis, whatever other reasons God had for creating Adam and Eve, they were also created in order to have dominion over the earth, as we read in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. Together, reflecting God's glory and character, the first couple were to be channels through whom he, the one with ultimate glory and dominion, as expressed in Revelation chapter 1, would nurture, care for, and administer the rest of his earthly creation. Who knows how God's glory would have been revealed through them and their dominion over the world were it not for the rise of sin. Now, though, although faith in Jesus, through surrendering our lives to him, in faith and obedience and cooperation, we can say with David, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Psalm 138, verse 8. Knowing that God has a purpose for each of us is a cause for confidence and rejoicing, especially when we are surrendered to him so that his will can be fulfilled in us. And so to finish today, if someone were to ask you, okay, as a Christian, 
What do you say that the purpose of your life is? How would you respond? And why? Monday, July 4, The Privilege of Dominion Question. What is the dominion that humans were to have over the earth as expressed in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through to 28? Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The biblical word dominion comes from the Hebrew word rada, R-A-D-A-H. This word indicates a right and responsibility to rule. It implies, in this context, a hierarchy of power and authority in which the human race is positioned above the rest of the natural world. While the verb rada is used in the rest of the Old Testament and does not itself define how this dominion is to be exercised, whether benevolently or malevolently, the context of a sinless and unfallen creation shows that the intent must have been benevolent in nature. Similar conclusions may be drawn about subduing the earth in Genesis 1.28. The verb subdue, from the Hebrew kavash, K-A-V-A-S-H, also depicts a hierarchical relationship in which humans are positioned above the earth and are granted power and control over it. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, the verb kavash, K-A-V-A-S-H, as we've just read, is even more forceful than rada describing the actual act of subjugation, of forcing another into a subordinate position. This we see in Numbers 32 and verses 22 and 29, And the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. And verse 29, And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. And Jeremiah chapter 34 verse 11, But afterward they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return, whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. And verse 16, Then you turned around and profaned my name, and every one of you brought back his male and female slaves, whom you had set at liberty at their pleasure and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female slaves. And Esther verse 8 of chapter 7, When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered 
Haman's face. And Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 5. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and indeed we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. In many of these cases, the abuse of power is obvious and God's displeasure is expressed. But again, taking into consideration the context within the creation story of a sinless couple created in the image of God to administer the earth, this subduing of the earth can be characterized only as benevolent service to creation on behalf of the Creator. It certainly was not exploitation. We find an additional dimension to this concept of dominion in Genesis 2.15, where God places Adam in the garden to dress it, or A-B-A-D is the word, abad, to work, to serve, to till, and to keep, shamar, S-H-A-M-A-R, which means to hedge about, to guard, to protect, to attend to, to look narrowly, to observe, to preserve, to regard, to reserve. Keeping this in mind, we discover that dominion is caring and loving stewardship or management. Within this relationship with God, our first parents were to have all the resources and authority that they needed to execute their dominion, which would have reflected God's divine love of his creation. So, to finish today, though the word dominion today can and often does have negative connotations, It certainly didn't when first expressed in the Bible. What are some principles that we can take from this pre-fall use of the term and apply to how we relate to whatever or whomever we have dominion over? Tuesday, July 5, Boundaries Does humanity's dominion over all the earth, as we read in Genesis 1.26, indicate that there are no boundaries to our dominion? Biblical history indicates that dominion, which can also be understood as stewardship, must have boundaries. For example, God told Adam that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was off-limits, as we read in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The first sin was, then, in the context of stewardship. Adam and Eve overstepped the boundaries that God had set on their dominion. Creation is still suffering from that overstepping of boundaries, as we read in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. 
question. Read Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 to 17. What kinds of boundaries are set there for us in God's law? What does the law tell us about the limits of human dominion? Let's begin Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbour's. Throughout human history, for example, Pharaoh in Exodus chapters 1 to 14, and Herod in Matthew 2, to the end time, as we read in Revelation 13, domineering people controlled by Satan are notorious for attempting to dominate that over which they have no rightful control. They imitate Satan, who seized power and made himself the prince of this world, as we read in John 12:31. Dominion gone awry becomes domination. On the other hand, there are those who refuse to accept control over that which they need to have dominion. Let's have a look at uh, Matthew chapter 28 and verses 14 through to 30. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately... He went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, and gathered where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in Luke chapter 19, chapter Luke chapter 19, verses 12 to 27. Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten miners, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, and then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading, then he came to the first, saying, Master, your miner has gained ten miners. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your miner has earned five miners. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your miner, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you, because you were an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him and give it to him who has ten miners. But they said to him, Master, he has ten miners. For I say to you, that to every one who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, and slay them before me. Even though sin caused humanity to lose the level of dominion given at creation, our original dominion was not entirely lost because of sin. There is plenty that is within our current boundaries of responsibility, for example. Christ enabled self-mastery in our personal lives, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 25 through to 27. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, 
but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And Galatians 5.22-23 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And the care of the earth and its creatures and all that has been given to us by God we read about in James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We need as Christians to understand what our boundaries are and then work to be faithful stewards within those boundaries. So to finish today, what are some specific boundaries that you need to respect in regard to others, such as family, friends, co-workers? What principles can we use to help us know what those boundaries are? Well, we'll just check out two verses to finish. Matthew 7, verse 1, Judge not, that you be not judged. And Matthew 7, verse 12, Therefore whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Wednesday, July 6. Care of the Earth. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Genesis 2.15 Question. What principles, if any, can we take from this text that should influence how we relate to our planet in terms of taking care of it? Before sin, Adam and Eve had been delegated stewardship over all that God had entrusted to them. They had mastery over plant and animal life, yet after sin, all of nature seemed to rebel against them to the same extent that they had rebelled against God. Human beings began to see themselves powerless in the face of the elements, weather, agriculture, the animal kingdom. As we read in Education, pages 26 and 27, among the lower creatures Adam had stood as king, and so long as he remained loyal to God, all nature acknowledged his rule. But when he transgressed, this dominion was forfeited. The spirit of rebellion to which he himself had given entrance extended throughout the animal kingdom, or creation. Thus, not only the life of man, but the nature of the beast, the trees of the forest, the grass of the field, and the very air he breathed, all told the sad lesson of the knowledge of evil. End of quote. Today we are still ravaged by natural disasters and our deteriorating ecosystem, at least in some places. Thus we make great efforts to use technology and industry to protect ourselves. However, though, technology and industry may help us protect ourselves, sometimes the same technology can damage our planet. Ecology is a moral, ethical and theological issue, especially when exploitation of the earth can lead to great hardship for others. 
An official statement of the Seventh-day Adventist Church on Environment in 1995 partly reads, Seventh-day Adventists advocate a simple, wholesome lifestyle where people do not step on the treadmill of unbridled consumerism, goods-getting and production of waste. We call for respect of creation, restraint in the use of the world's resources, re-evaluation of one's needs and reaffirmation of the dignity of created life. End of quote. And so to finish today, how do we strike the right balance in our attitude toward the earth, being good stewards of the home we have been given, while at the same time avoiding the danger of making the earth and the environment gods whom we all but worship? What warning might Romans one twenty five have here for us? Romans one twenty five reads, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Thursday, July 7, Restoring Dominion Through the fall, we as humans have lost very much, including the kind of dominion that our first parents were privileged to have in Eden. Christ came in order to restore to us what we lost, and because of what Christ has done for us, we too have been called by God to reach out to others, helping them regain in Christ the salvation and dominion lost at the fall that he has given back to us. Though this process will not be complete until the second coming of Jesus, and beyond, there's much that we can do now in reaching out to those who are needy, lost and overwhelmed by the world. We can be used by God to help start that restoration even now as we reach out and help those in need. Question. What do the following texts each say that can be applied to helping others regain some of the dominion lost through sin? First of all, Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through to 12. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren... Within any of the gates of your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother." and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works, and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land." If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Then he also said to him who invited him, 
When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And First Peter chapter 3 in verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a question, or a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. And James one twenty-seven, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And Isaiah 58 verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? In Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. As a church body, there's much that we can do that we must do, that we've been called to do, to reach out to those in need. Sometimes it's as basic as providing food, clothes, or shelter to someone in urgent need. Even though giving relief is necessary, something beyond giving relief is needed to help people restore dominion in their lives. Though we must always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us, we must, when and where we can, meet their physical needs and point them to a better way of life. Though each situation is different and the needs are different, we have been called by God to be a light and a source of healing and hope in our communities. This is the essential part of what it means to be a witness to the world of the loving and saving God whom we serve. We must do all that we can in the Lord's strength to be a beacon of light and hope to those in need. As Christians, we can't do less. As we fulfill this role of service, we are helping them learn what God is like. And two, by ministering to their physical needs, we are paving the way for their hearts to be reached by the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus did, and this is what we are called to do as well. Friday, July 8. It's so hard from our perspective today, immersed as we are in a greatly fallen world, to imagine what we have lost through the fall. This evil world is all that we know, and were it not for the Word of God and how it reveals to us our origins and the origins of sin and death and evil, we'd simply take them for granted as just part of life itself. Yet the story of the fall shows us that, indeed, this is not how things were to be. Then, right after they had sinned, suddenly their relationship to the world changed because they changed, and the physical world itself changed as well. Suddenly, the dominion they had enjoyed was lost, and the consequences became enormous. The thorn and the thistle Genesis 3.17, the aftermath of the flood in Genesis chapter 7, the desert and the wilderness, the groaning of the earth for deliverance, 
are some of the word pictures the Bible uses to describe the effect of sin upon the world. That's from the Handbook of Seventh-day Adventist Theology, uh, volume 12, page 254. How thankful we should be for the plan of salvation which will restore all that was lost and which offers us the promise of a future so much better than the past or the present. And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. 1. Though the immediate context of the text we're going to read doesn't have to do with ecology as we understand today, what principles could one take from them that could help us understand our need to be good stewards of the environment? Also, how do we know if and when we have crossed the line from being a steward of the environment to being a worshipper of it? Firstly, there's Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 to 12. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And also Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 19 to 20. When you besiege a city for a long time, while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you, until it be subdued. And question two, think about the natural world as we know it now. Is it a friend or a foe? And how can you justify your answer? Question three, discuss the question asked at the end of Sunday's study about the meaning and purpose of human life. What answer would you give to someone who asks you that question? How should our answers differ from those who don't believe in God or salvation? And question four, how can we reclaim the word dominion in a way that helps restore its original meaning? That is, how was dominion at first a good thing? How can it be today as well? Inside Story Our mission story this week is the second part of Dismissed But Determined, and it's by Isaiah Malik Garang from South Sudan. The question about the Sabbath and Sunday came up again. Was the Sabbath still valid? If so, why did most of Christianity worship on Sunday instead? I was not allowed to enter the church I had once pastored, so on Sundays I prayed at home. Others, some who had been dismissed and some who thought the church had made a grave mistake, joined me for worship. 
Eight other groups began meeting in homes throughout my former district. The Sabbath question was constantly on my mind. I knew that some people worshipped on Friday, some on Saturday, and others on Sunday. As I studied the Bible, I found many references to Sabbath, but no mention of Friday or Sunday as a day of worship. I asked our small group members to study and pray about this issue. Eventually we agreed that God had never changed the day of worship from Saturday to another day. We immediately began meeting on Saturday instead of Sunday. We also found the admonition to avoid eating unclean meat. Some people outside of our small groups who learned of our decision labelled us Jews. Solomon saw the changes in my life and invited me to study the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I wondered what difference there might be between what we had discovered and what the Adventists teach. I set out to find some Adventist leaders to learn more about what they believe. I found an Adventist church in a village some distance from my home. I introduced myself to the pastor and explained that I wanted to know what his denomination taught. I stayed in that little village for three months studying the Bible and the writings of Ellen White and understanding the church's fundamental beliefs. What I learned was so amazing. It became clear that I'd found what my soul was looking for. I asked to be baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. During the week before my baptism, I continually reconsidered my decision. My brother urged me to leave the country. I was invited to join a non-denominational church, and my former church sent a message requesting that I return to my priestly position. This story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. We'll have to wait till then. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful. <laughs>